Thank you. Continuing on in our series in Hebrews, my uh, my last week with you, and uh, looking at uh, Hebrews chapter eight and chapter ten, talking about the new covenant. Uh, What we've seen already is that Hebrews has written to the church in Jerusalem and trying to encourage them in their faith and uh, there were some Judaizers within the church who were saying, no, 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 you're going the wrong way. You really need to be uh, much more involved with the the, uh, traditional truths and teachings of of Judaism. And uh, we've uh, seen so far that the uh, Hebrew religion was addressed in Hebrews through the uh, introduction of Jesus Christ as a high priest in the order of Melchizedek and uh, we saw that God was doing something new there and uh, that this priest as we've heard about in uh, communion been reminded of in communion uh, offered himself as the sacrifice to end all sacrifices that was all sufficient we've seen that very clearly and uh, and also the teaching that accepting this is actually a pathway towards maturity and that's uh, what um, what the Hebrews uh, letter has been saying thus far so this week uh, we look at the new covenant or the new contract if you like or the new MOU maybe uh, if it was being written in today's uh, terminology Uh, this new covenant that is um, uh, sealed in Christ and uh, what that actually means for us that's what these chapters Hebrews 8 and 10 are talking about I want to overview the the teaching first of all and then come down to understanding how it applies for us today But in overviewing, I'm going to be skipping between chapters 8 and 10 because chapter 8, the verses I want to read from there sort of lay a foundation but then they're elaborated a bit in chapter 10 and so forgive me in in the next few minutes as I skip from 8 to 10 and if you're following, just have your finger in one page and uh, be skipping over with me. (coughs) Hebrews says that the new covenant, the new contract that God has made in Christ is better. And he says, uh, the Hebrew says that it's uh, superior to the old one. This comes out in verses 6 to 13 of chapter 8. But in fact the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Well, if he hasn't lost his audience by now, he probably, he probably has in this verse because he's actually suggesting to the, to the church, which includes these Judaizers, that uh, what God is doing in Christ is superior and that it's established on better promises. He's not pulling any punches here. He's, uh, he, he's telling what he sees as the truth to these people who are probably having a hard time accepting it. Verse 7, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, by the way there's a clue there that it's not actually the covenant was a problem, it was the people who were uh, living or not living by the covenant that was a problem. God found fault with the people. And, uh, and, and that really showed up the, um, uh, where the old covenant was lacking. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So again, there's that that clue once again. It's the people's lack of faithfulness that is the real problem here. 
Uh, verse 10, this is the covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, it's interesting terminology there. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's actually a theme that starts in Genesis and goes all the way through to Revelation. It's a continuing uh, um, uh, sentence that uh, God uh, announces right across the breadth of Scripture that uh, you are to be my people, I will be your God and you are to be my people. And Hebrews is saying this is actually being fulfilled in the new covenant. That's what it's all about. Verse 11, No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now the word that's translated uh, know uh, here is similar to, uh, to, to, to words in the Hebrew and in the Greek that actually more than an intellectual knowledge, it's actually being concerned about. It's being concerned about. I'm, I'm, I, the, the people are concerned about what God's perspective is. The people care about what God's perspective is. So it's not just knowing God, it's being taking care Uh, appreciating what God is actually saying. Uh, Verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So here's the teaching that it's really come to a crunch point now. He's heading towards uh, the end of his argumentation, towards the end of the debate and he's saying the new covenant is better. It's for these reasons that it's better. It's superior to the old one. In verse 13, you'll notice that he actually says the old one is obsolete and it's outdated. God is doing something new. He actually says that in verse 13. A part of what is new is that it has a superior mediator. It has Christ as the mediator and he's already talked about this in some of the chapters that we've been looking at. But that comes up in verse 6, that Christ is a superior Mediator, and that it's based on better promises, he says. This new covenant is based on promises that are better. What, what, what's, so, what's so much better about it? Well, this is where we skip over to chapter 10 because we see that the, the covenant, the new covenant, is based on such things as our sins no longer being remembered. Chapter 10, verse 17. Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And, uh, and it's also based on forgiveness that means no further sacrifice is necessary and that comes out in verse 18 of chapter 10 and where these have been forgiven sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary now this is radically new because remember in the old covenant the sacrificial system said it has to be repeatedly given and, uh, and, and, and this is what happened that uh, you know this one's good enough for now but we're going to have to do this again next year and we're going to have to do it again next year and so uh, what Hebrews is saying is that no the all sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ means that we don't have to go through this stuff anymore that your sins are no longer remembered and that forgiveness means no further sacrifice is necessary that's in chapter 10 verse 18 Skipping back to chapter 8, in verse 7 he says there was something wrong with the old one and that was that the sacrificial system became an annual reminder of sinfulness rather than a celebration of sins forgiven. Now this is a really important point that the, the annual sacrificial system became a reminder of sinfulness rather than a celebration of sins forgiven. Chapter 10, verse 3 But those sacrifices 
are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your your will, O God. The sacrificial system was one that was a reminder of sins, whereas what we have just celebrated today, the Lord's Supper, is a reminder not of our sinfulness, it's a reminder of Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice and of our acceptability, our acceptability in Christ. And so we don't come to the Lord's table on a Sunday morning to be reminded of our sinfulness. We come to the Lord's table on a Sunday morning to be reminded of Christ's sacrifice and the all-sufficiency of that sacrifice and the overwhelming forgiveness that we live in because of that sacrifice. That's the reminder. And that's that's what these verses are saying. So there's something wrong with the old system when it just becomes a reminder of your sinfulness. And that's what Hebrews is saying. We need something new. And that's what Christ is instituting here. Another thing that makes the covenant better is that it's going to be internally based rather than external. Chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. This is the covenant I'll establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And that comes up again in chapter 10, verse 16. He says the same sort of thing. Uh, This is a a, a strategic thing. It means that it's not rules and regulations that are the big thing with this new covenant uh, as they had become with the old covenant. I mean, you didn't only, in the old covenant, it didn't only have the Torah, the five books of Moses, but you had all the oral traditions which were later written down in two huge volumes known as the Mishnah and the Talmud and these became uh, rules and regulations that were supposed to uh, uh, guide you into holiness, guide you into righteous behaviour, but nobody could live up to those. And so that's one of the reasons why the sacrificial system became a reminder of how much people have fallen below, not only the Torah but the Mishnah and the Talmud as well and how, how, how lost in their sinfulness they are. And Jesus, or, um, the Hebrews are saying what Jesus is doing, what, what God is doing in this new thing is something internal. It's not tied up in the Mishnah and the Talmud but it's internal. God is putting this stuff into your minds and into your hearts. And in other passages in the, in the uh, New Testament, um, we, uh, we read that the fruit of the Spirit, for instance, comes from the indwelling Spirit of God. So the, the Spirit comes and indwells us and changes us. Our character is changed. So it's not, I don't read a book and says, um, thou shalt be kind. And so, oh, you know, okay, I've got to be kind today because, you know, the rules and the regulations say that. No, in the New Covenant, what we, what we find in Galatians chapter 5, some teaching from Paul that says when the Holy Spirit indwells you and, and he is allowed uh, free, free reign, kindness is one of the products. Kindness is one of the characteristics that develops. See, that's the huge difference and that's what he's talking about here. That this New Covenant has got nothing to do with what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside because God changes the inside. Another teaching that, that's... Uh, Inclined to that is uh, Paul's teaching in Romans, Romans chapter 12, where he talks about the renewed mind, 
that we are transformed, we are changed into the likeness of Christ. How? By the renewing of your mind. It will make you wise for knowing what God's will but the renewing of the mind and the word that's translated renewal there in Romans 12 uh, verses 1 and 2 um, it means being made new from above. Being made new from above. And so it is the work of God within us to change our minds so that our thought patterns, our thinking is along the way of Christ. Not to do with this external stuff but to do with what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Uh, and, and how he is changing our character and our thought lines and, and so forth. And so this uh, Hebrew says the new covenant is better uh, because it's internally based, not externally based. It's not based on rules and regulations. In uh, chapter 8 verse 11 it says that. In fact, the law is only a shadow of things to come. It's not the reality that we're looking for. What is the reality that we're looking for? Well, through the sacrificial system, the reality was holiness, that I might be acceptable to God. That's what the reality was. And, and, and uh, uh, the sacrificial system, what Hebrews is saying is, well, it didn't work. <laughs> and so we need, we, we, we need something new, and that is the all-sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. The law was only a shadow of things to come, not the reality that we're looking for. The law can't do what we want it to do and that is make us perfect. Chapter 10 verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. In other words, it can't do what we really want it to do but Christ can. And so the newness of the covenant is being praised there. Well, um, he, uh, he also talks about in these passages in chapter 8 and, uh, and in chapter 10 how the result of this new covenant is belonging, that we are the people of God, uh, he is our God, we are his people, and forgiveness, that this is truly where forgiveness is based. But then he changes track uh, halfway through chapter 10 and this is a track that continues on throughout the rest of, of Hebrews really and that is, well, on the basis of this wonderful freedom that we have because that's a summary of the new covenant this wonderful freedom that we have in Christ that allows us on a Sunday morning to come and not be so woeful about our sinfulness but be celebratory about Christ's sufficiency and the sacrifice that has made us clean. This wonderful freedom that we have, how should we then live? What does that mean for us? And that's what he addresses here in these uh, verses in chapter 10 and then onwards. In verses 19 to 22 of chapter 10, he says, well, you know what? We can have a confidence to approach God. We can confidently draw near to God with sincerity and with full assurance. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and, and can you just hear what that would have been heard as by the Judaizers and by those who are considering that maybe we should go back to Judaism? We have confidence to enter the holy place. Confidence to enter where only the high priest can, can enter and once a year. But we have confidence to enter the holy place 
by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Remember the curtain that was split in two on the death of Christ. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, again he's referring to Christ as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In some ways what he's doing here is he's saying all this, all this highfalutin theology about Christ as high priest after Melchizedek and being able to enter the holy place and the curtain torn in two, all of that stuff comes down to one thing and that is you can have confidence in going to God. That's it. You can have confidence in going to God. You don't need somebody to pave the way for you. You don't need some priest to come in and to pave the way for your access to God. You don't need to go through all these laws and regulations and and legalistic sort of stuff to prepare yourself because Christ has already done it. You can have access to God. You have access to God. So on the basis of all this wonderful freedom that we have in Christ, how should I live? Live confidently to draw near to God with sincerity and full assurance, it says, in those verses. Now secondly he says, and, and we can hold unswervingly to hope. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The faithfulness of God means that what he has said he has done and it's fair income. He has done it. It's complete. And so we can hold unswervingly. We don't have to be going one way or the other, thinking about this and thinking about that. We can hold unswervingly to the fact that we can have access to God. The next thing he says, in the light of this wonderful freedom, how should we live? Well, we should live considering one another. And again, this was brought to our attention in in some words leading us into communion, that we are a community. And we should live, not, not only having unswerving confidence ourselves that I can have this access directly into God's presence, but as a community, as a group, as a people of God, we hold unswervingly to this. And so what do we do? Well, he says in verses 24 to 25, some of my favourite verses in all of Hebrews, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so what he says is that in the light of this wonderful freedom, remember you're a community. In the light of this wonderful access and confidence and assurance to enter into the presence of God, remember you're a community. And as a community, consider how you can spur one another on towards love and towards good deeds, to doing good things. And, and consider how you can encourage one another daily as the day draws near. And this becomes one of the great purposes of meeting together. One of the great purposes of being the church gathered is to spur one another on towards love and to doing good stuff and to, uh, and, and, and to be able to encourage one another. That's how we should live, Hebrews says. And all of this is sort of um, tied up in the verses 26 to 31 which I, I, um, I, I won't read them because of time but the summation of them is to live faithfully live faithfully 
and in those verses it talks about sin and if you, if, if you go and get lost in sinfulness well there's no other way really to sacrifice and the idea here is that this wonderful freedom that you have is not a license to sin it's not a license to sin it's not a oh you beauty you know don't have to abide by the laws and regulations anymore we can throw out the Mishnah and the Talmud ripper <laughs> it's not that at all what it is how should we then live live faithfully it's not a license to sinfulness because if you reject the way that God has gifted to us well there's no other way <laughs> there's no other way this is the new covenant it's Christ and if you're going to reject that well there is no other way reverting back to the law reverting back to the legalism of some of those laws and regulations that Judaism had become that's not, how, that, that's not going to make you holy that's not going to make you acceptable to God there is no other way the way is freely yours and it's in Christ and so finally in verses 32 to 36 he says persevere hang in there and remember this is a people who are going through some serious persecution here some serious persecution it's tough being a Christian in this church in this community of Jerusalem and he says, when it all comes down to it, hang in there, persevere. This wonderful news won't stop the suffering, but the call is to stand firm, encouraging each other along the way. So bringing all that together, some wonderful verses, a couple of chapters. God has provided, what Hebrews is saying, is that God has provided a new way. He's provided a new covenant, a new contract, a new MOU, a new understanding. It's new. It's what it's all about. And it's far more effective than what has gone before. It offers forgiveness and it offers acceptability so that you can have access to God himself. You never have to worry again about access. You belong you belong in the throne room you belong in the presence of God not because of you not because of what you have done or haven't done but because of the acceptability of Christ and that's his position and he has offered that to you the substitutionary death and that's what we celebrate every Sunday when we come together that we are co-heirs with Christ that we are accepted in the throne room of God himself and that's what Hebrews is teaching there that we belong but in leaving you I want to leave you with um, with some challenges uh, first of all of course um, this is not a license to slack off or not care on the basis of this uh, wonderful news we are called to live faithfully as a gathering community we're called to love each other and to do good and to encourage each other. When Paul is writing similar things to this in the book of Ephesians he writes on all the doctrine in the first three chapters and he comes to chapter 4 the beginning of the application of the doctrine that he's just given to us in the three chapters and in chapter 4 verse 1 he says I urge you on, on, in, in the light of what I've been talking about in the first three chapters I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have received 
the calling is uh, taught in, uh, in the first three chapters and now he says, and I urge you to live a life that's worthy of this. And so in the words of Hebrews, all this uh, wonderful teaching, this wonderful freedom, the new sacrifice, the new covenant, Christ, the, the centrality of Christ, the superiority of Christ, all of that, then I urge you to live faithfully. I urge you to live a life uh, that uh, is worthy of that calling that you have received. There's always a temptation, I think, to revert to Christ plus something or other for salvation. Uh, It might be Christ plus the rules and the regulations that we've laid down or it might be Christ plus certain ethics or it might be Christ plus the right politics or Christ plus the right beliefs and a whole lot of things. We can put a plus onto it. And I think Hebrews, apart from, from any other teaching in the Bible, Hebrews says stop it. Stop it. It's Christ. Full stop. The sufficiency of Christ for the salvation that we have. You don't need anything else. (laughs) That's what Hebrews is saying. And he's saying it to a group of people who were really grappling with that as a problem. I think the the other thing I want to say is is linked back to here and, and oftentimes, you know, there are some people in the Christian faith who have a real hard time forgiving themselves for past sinfulness, for past mistakes, past wrongs. And coming to communion, coming to the Lord's Supper can actually be a reminder of how far we have fallen rather than the sufficiency of Christ. And I just want to leave you with a challenge that, that uh, it, it would be a, a wonderful thing to be free from the burden of not forgiving yourselves for the past but instead to, uh, uh, to enjoy and to celebrate the forgiveness of Christ. And then of course the temptation uh, to not live faithfully every day, to not take seriously the, uh, the love and the good works and the encouragement that we're called to as the people of God. So that's some of the, uh, the, the practical lessons that I see coming out of these, um, these chapters in Hebrews. The centrality of Christ may it always be uppermost in our minds. Let's pray. I'm just going to give you a moment of silence here, um, especially looking or uh, thinking about the, um, the, the forgiveness of God. Uh, that is uh, tied up in the sufficiency of Christ. And, uh, and maybe if, if there's something that you're struggling with where you're having a hard time forgiving yourself and leaving it behind, uh, this might be a good time just to uh, leave it with the, um, the sacrifice that Jesus has made. So I'm just going to be quiet for a moment to allow you to ponder that. God, I thank you for uh, the new covenant. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the all-sufficiency of his sacrifice. And I thank you for the reminder of that every Sunday morning as we celebrate uh, 
in, in this meal together. Father, I, I thank you for the fact that you have truly forgiven us in Christ and that we have free access into your presence and that we're in your presence even now as we sit in this place and that we're in your presence as we leave this place and go into our daily lives. I thank you for that. I pray, oh God, that you would help anybody struggling with this area of forgiveness to come through and to work it through into that wonderful, wonderful joy of knowing that we are forgiven and accepted. And I pray that this will make a difference in our lives together and encouraging one another and loving one another and doing good as we have opportunity throughout the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.